0: Mindfulness is a protection for us. Mindfulness protects us. And this is how we can understand the idea of taking refuge in Buddhism. That when when we take refuge in something, we're safe, we're protected. You know, traditionally, if a criminal ran into a church... They couldn't be arrested. You know that—that that was. I, I'm not sure if that's medieval, but I know that that was true in in Central America during the uh, some of the the um, guerrilla wars and, and uh, oppression of the 80s. So refuge, a, a place of refuge, is a place of safety. So when we take refuge in Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, which I'm not going to elaborate on those terms right now, but we'll get into it we are essentially finding safety in our awareness, in our clarity, in our wisdom, and in our community. So I think that for us to kind of find our joy in recovery, obviously, first of all, we have to become established in our recovery and kind of do the work of really getting clean and and moving through the whatever process, whether it's the steps or whether it's something like the refuge recovery uh, work that's being offered now, to really do that self-examination and letting go and healing that needs to happen. But at a certain point, we can start to see that oh, you know, because of the power of mindfulness, of these refuges, of the practice of of the steps if you're working the twelve steps. I am safe. Doesn't mean I don't need to be vigilant, but I don't need to be, you know, on edge. And this is where we can start to look for how can I cultivate more joy? How can I really enjoy what's going on in my life? The the Buddhist in the Buddhist line Terms in the the Pali language that the uh, the Theravada Buddhism uh, uses. The word for suffering is dukkha. So this this discomfort, this unsatisfactoriness, this craving that's never fulfilled. This is called dukkha. The word for joy or contentment is sukha. So. Not only do they rhyme, but they have similar roots. There's a lot of times we see this in the in the Buddhist language that that uh, the the uh, opposite terms have similar roots. So the, the Buddha kind of played with language in this way. And Sukha is really uh, key to awakening. It's one of the factors of enlightenment it's also key to the development of concentration which is uh, I don't really like the word concentration to describe the meditative experience Uh, more calm abiding or just a sense of grounded peace that's when I learned that I was a little surprised that um happiness was supposed to be part of meditation. Because somehow, I got this message when I started to practice that meditation is really hard and painful, but it's good for you. It's like, you know, eat a lot of fiber, and you know, <laughs> it, 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 it might not taste good, but, you know, your colon will be all cleaned <laughs> out. But at a certain point, I was introduced to the idea that actually, to go deeper into the meditation practice, we have to find sukha, which is really meditative joy. And again, that can seem like, oh, I don't know if I can do that, and you know, is that going to turn into another project? Am I going to be like grasping for sukha? Because of course, you know, many times people come to meditation and kind of go well, I really want to, you know, meditate and feel good, and then we sit down and meditate. It's like, well, 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 well it's not working, what's wrong? And, and I guess I don't, like, you know, I'll just have to sit through this and, as I say, it's good for me. But sukha really isn't that inaccessible. It's actually something we experience all the time. So, I just made up a new practice which is actually this could be my next big thing I mean it could be my big thing my wife thinks it's my when I told her last night she was like that's awesome <laughs> uh, you know you gotta copyright this uh, this practice is called One Pleasant Thing OPT which can be <laughs> Optimist Options Optimal all those kind of One pleasant thing. And one pleasant thing practice is to just notice one pleasant thing that you can experience right now, internally or externally. So try doing that right now. Is there one pleasant thing that you either are experiencing or can notice and enjoy right? Don't, don't look at me for it, believe me. That's not going to cause aversion. So how does it feel to notice one pleasant thing? To relax, go. You know, oh. hmm. usually do this to people, but I'm just curious if, if some people would say if, if they found something that was pleasant and what it was. I'm healthy. Hmm? I'm healthy. You're healthy, so you notice that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Thich Nhat says you should practice enjoying that you don't have a toothache. <laughs> <laughs> I was enjoying the coffee tasting
1: right now.
0: The coffee taste in your mouth, yeah. yeah. Me too. Yeah.
1: Contentment of coffee flavor, yeah.
0: yeah. And then, uh, as you're getting off on your coffee, it's kind of puts you. The first of, one of the first effects of caffeine is a kind of contentment, even you, uh, you know, as long as you're you taking the right amount. Okay, <laughs> too. Um, I just like the, the way that cushion
2: feels on my soles of my foot. Yeah. Yeah. Cute. Yeah. Yeah. I like that I socks and I feel warmer. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. So this, this is, is just. A, I, just yeah.
2: I was listening to
0: memory at this morning. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, it can take. You know, a pleasant thing can take many forms. It can be a thought, a memory, it can be an emotion, it can be any of the five physical senses. Uh, and you know, there's no particular attachment to any of those things. But this is inclining the mind towards the pleasant is one of the vital aspects of developing joy. And you know, these are this is a choice that we make, option. O P (laughs) D. Sorry. We make a choice. And, you know, for myself, I'm what's called in Buddhist terms an aversive type. We have greed types that are kind of like, let's, I want to check out everything, I'm really excited about the world. Then the aversive types are like, you know, leave me alone, all right? And and I tend to look at the, the negative. And so... When I was first introduced to the idea of like, oh, look at the positive, like, oh, it's so new age, you know, just like think positive, you know. Uh, but once I started to kind of engage in those kind of practices, I started to see that you know it's actually just a choice, and that I can. I mean, of course, there are many situations when things are just the way they are that's just unpleasant, and and I don't think it's helpful to try to like ignore that, you know, that's not what this is about. But a lot of the time, what I discover is that my experience is somewhat neutral in in a given moment. And that if I look for something pleasant, I can shift gears a little bit into a positive, into a pleasant state. So this is just one of the tools we can work with very simple as always, it's based in mindfulness because first of all we have to be mindful of the state that we're in. And then we have to be aware of things in our environment inside and outside which might be pleasant. So we just have to bring that kind of awareness to, oh, well I can... It's not sugarcoating things. Uh, but just really in this simple way. Like, oh. It's like, you know, when you realize your stomach is tight or your, you know, your shoulders are hunched and you just go, oh, I'm just creating this kind of negative feeling. Let me just breathe. Oh, okay. Simple, simple mindfulness practice of release. So, it seems like plenty to get us started. So I'd like to do uh, a period of meditation. And, you know, our, our regular way of kind of practicing mindfulness is to maintain someone somewhat of a neutral stance. Just noticing what it is,
1: <laughs>
0: observing, being with that as best you can. When the mind wanders coming back, coming back to the breath. Just being trying to be present. So at a certain point, I'm so I'm gonna what I'm gonna do here is I'm just gonna guide us into that practice. And then at a certain point I'm gonna ask you to look within your experience for something pleasant. And then, if you can find something pleasant, particularly a pleasant sensation in your body, so just focus your attention on that. Not grasping, <laughs> not trying to make anything out of it, just being with that pleasant experience. Okay. Let me just try out the bell. It's Bringing the attention inside. Feeling your body sitting. We want to sit in a way that we can stay alert and relaxed. Letting the spine be upright. The muscles soft. The body soft, relaxing the jaw, the eyes, relaxing the shoulders. softening the belly. Let your breath move deeply into the belly. And as you exhale, see if you can have a sense of just releasing any tension or effort to hold anything in the body, trusting the spine to hold you up. Acknowledge your environment, noticing any sounds, letting sounds come and go, noticing if there's a prominent mood that you're experiencing. or any kind of tone to your emotions or your feelings right now. Acknowledging any mental concerns just this morning. Well, this is just a kind of general observing begin to focus more on a concentration object. You're just feeling yourself sitting here in this room to push any of that away, but just bring awareness of the sensations of breath into the foreground of your attention, feeling the breath either at the nostrils where the air comes in and out, or in the movement of the belly, rising and falling. begin by distinguishing the sensations of breathing in from the sensations of breathing out, So we begin by dividing the breath in two so that we can start to bring some clarity to our awareness of those sensations. mental note. Naturally, the mind will wander as we try to pay attention to the breath. And when you notice that you've lost touch with the sensations of breathing, acknowledge that and gently come back. There's it isn't a contest or a competition, there's no failure involved. Just a process of training. If you can enjoy the moment of returning to the breath, ah, releasing, coming back, coming back to now. times, thoughts may just seem to be streaming through the mind. Even when you acknowledge them from back to the breath, they keep flowing on. So, leave them alone, let them move through the mind and just see if you can feel the breath, even with that stream of thoughts coming and going. be engaged in a process that we don't control. Our job is to make a gentle effort, but we don't control the results of that effort. Trust that there is benefit, that the process If you can begin to feel more detail in the breath, not just the in-out, but more of the sensations of the in-breath, more sensations of out-breath, just watching a little more closely. Notice the temperature of the breath. If you're following the breath of the nostrils. Notice the muscles. If you're following the breath in the belly. Notice the turning. From in to out. breath is not one solid thing, but a continuing stream of different sensations. And I want to suggest that you bring a slight smile to your face. It's turning up the corners of your mouth. If you feel a resistance, a discomfort from that, then don't do it. But if you can move from that neutral into the uplifting, light smile let that come to your face feel that smile Without grasping or trying to force something, notice it. if there's anything pleasant that you're experiencing right now. It might be a pleasant physical sensation, the pleasure of the smile, or tingling hands, or the sense of groundedness, sitting. be the simple pleasure of breathing. It could be the pleasure of a sound letting the mind flow And the sound of the ventilation system or the sound inside the ears the humming each out. It might be a pleasant mood anything that you can notice that is easy to feel, not trying to create or force it. But if there is something pleasant, try making that the focus of your meditation. In other words, instead of paying attention to the breath, pay attention to this pleasant experience when the mind wanders, come back to the pleasant experience. Just sit with that in an easeful way. keep coming back to the pleasant. The pleasant might change. You can move the attention to another pleasant thing or just back to the more neutral breath. Again, not forcing or trying to create some experience. Just noticing what's there that might be pleasant if there is something. If the unpleasant is dominant, they acknowledge that. They don't struggle with that. The end because no matter what happens, we usually feel better. You might think, Oh, that was a really bad meditation, but afterwards, you yeah. know, there's that relaxation. So, that's one of the things that can really reinforce your practice, other, other instead of the kind of judging that we get into about what happened during the practice. To see oh, the result of it is, Oh, I feel really like, bad. Uh, so any questions, and and I'm also interested in any comments about whether that was useful or how that affected you to try to focus on the pleasant during the sitting.
2: When you said (coughs) would move to something pleasant, I what was really happening in my head was, wow, my foot really hurts, and I think my back's starting to hurt again. And, mm-hmm. you know, there was this whole litany that was running in the background that I wasn't conscious of, and when you said, go to the pleasant thing, I was like, where's the pleasant uh-huh. thing? Yeah. 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 So, you know, it was really like inventory <coughs> all of the mm-hmm. parts to find the one part that physically that felt very comfortable mm-hmm
0: there was something
2: yeah. The
0: huh? yeah and certainly this practice isn't about ignoring stuff that's if, if, if there's intense stuff that's really pulling your attention um, we want to really we want to be in a relationship of conflict with that so the starting point I think before, maybe maybe even before we try to go to the pleasant, is to accept the unpleasant. Because that in itself can be a relief. Even unconsciously, when we're not noticing it, a lot of times the body will tense around the discomfort and and will be kind of, the mind might sort of be spinning a little bit, but it's really spinning because of the energy of aversion to the unpleasant. So... Just kind of going, oh, that hurts. Let me breathe into that and relax around that, and just allow it. It's unpleasant, but it's not horrible. You know, I can sit with it. Or maybe, maybe I do need to make a little adjustment here. Okay, we breathe and kind of consciously move and settle. Um, the remarkable thing is that when we really open to a sensation, particularly if it's like something that arises through the meditation, rather than like there's some chronic thing going on, we can move through that uh, pain sometimes into another. It can open up into something different because concentration and mindfulness themselves have this powerful effect on how we experience things. So one of the ways that uh, certainly I've had the experience of getting into deeper concentration states was opening to and just being with an intense like burning in my knee uh, now I don't sit like that I don't get that pleasure anymore but the thing is that there's this sensation and then there's my reaction to it and the reaction to it is the dukkha the sensation itself is just the sensation. I'm calling it pain, but that's just a name. I like to give the example like eating spicy food. A lot of people like spicy food. But if you have that sensation in your knee, you think it's pain. In your mouth, it's pleasure.
1: So what is it?
0: Well, that's called perception. The mind defines and labels things. And then we react to it based on that label. So if you can take the label out and the resistance out, and just be with the pure experience, then it stops being a problem in the same way. And, as I say, because it's something like this is a strong sensation, the mind can get locked on it pretty well, whereas the breath is very subtle, so it's hard to stay with the breath, because it's like... Mm, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But when there's an intense sensation... What happens is that you know the mind can really you can really feel it. It's not you know it's very clear. And as soon as your mind wanders, it goes from sensation to pain again. Mm-hmm. Because when the mind wanders, when the mindfulness drops, the aversion naturally comes in. Mm-hmm. So the practice is to watch it, and and really the practice is to keep letting go of the aversion, keep watching it and letting go of the aversion, and then. This can become. There can be this whole like, shift where stuff can happen. I don't like to make you know predictions or tell you what your experience is going to be, but it can really transform, and it can stop being unpleasant, mm-hmm. even, which which is pretty amazing. And it and it's one of the things that really gave me faith in practice and the power of the practice, the power of the mind to see that what was. I would have called pain could turn into something completely different through the power of my own concentration and awareness. Not, and it's not my concentration. No, I should say through the power of concentration and awareness. So, I, um, so it's not necessarily always like, oh, I'm feeling pain. Let me find something pleasant. You know, if, if I mean, if it's a strong sensation, if it really is called, it's. I think it's going to create more trouble to try to ignore it. That's not what this is about. I and mean, this isn't about denial. You know? um, but, but, um, and so these are the more, uh, really the deeper ways of working with this. In the same way that doing something like an inventory or an immense can be powerfully it can result in this powerful joy that comes from it. Not, you know, it's, it's not like, oh, I can't wait to make this amends, you know. <laughs> but in the process, there can be all this stuff that happens that becomes really rich and freeing. And So this isn't, again, this joy in recovery isn't about, oh, quick, get rid of all the bad stuff so I can have fun. You know, that, that, there is that aspect, as we talked about, just the inclining the mind. But the deeper work is the transforming. The transforming the pain into something else.
1: I can kind of piggyback with doubts. Like, um, <clears throat> I try to be pretty mindful
0: of my posture. And my back was getting really tense and I, I acknowledged the pain and kind of like visualized where it was coming from. And it like gradually went away and it became a pleasure because I was really mindful of how I was sitting. You know? And, and it turned into a good thing. Yeah it actually went away once I acknowledged it and kind of zeroed in on it and accepted that and then, you know, it went away and
1: I was able to you know just kind of put it on it again but nice. like you said it yeah thank you
0: there must be other things on people's minds <laughs> I know there things on your mind. Maybe you don't want to speak them. Yes,
2: Um, I like um, that you suggested turning up the volume so that. At first, I thought that's very weird, (laughs) (laughs) but I think it's like a a, like it's a good practice. And um, so that was good, and and your one pleasant thing I think is. Fabulous. Um, just to, and, and to be
0: able to tuck that into the meditation process. Yeah. It's really a great combination of yeah. Wonderful. It, it makes it much clearer. I don't know, just to make it much clearer for me about meditation. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. So yeah. meditation isn't supposed to be unpleasant. And you know, when you first hear about meditation before you've done it. You tend to think, oh, well, that sounds like it's going to be really, you know, this beautiful, blissful, you know, thing. And then you sit there and like, wait a minute, where's my bliss? <laughs> so, notice his mouth. There's a slight smile on the Buddha's mouth. I didn't make this up, <laughs> um, and and then of course there's this whole sort of neurophysiology in which that turning up the corners of your mouth triggers pleasant feelings in the body. It's like there's a you know, I, this is kind of a you know a twelve step thing, right? Act as if because it's a two way street. When you're happy, you smile. But when you smile, it also triggers happiness for whatever reason. I'm not, I'm not a scientist in that regard. But there is a way in which it can work. And, and again, as I said during the meditation, if there's if you're in an intensely negative state or you're a negative, really negative, cynical person, you know, there's some people like that in the world, um, you know, it's not really helpful to go, I'm going to smile. You know, that's not what this is about, forcing something. But if you're in kind of a neutral place, again, you know, you can kind of, hmm, uh, and you find actually there's, you can actually help your yourself to feel better. Tech has a beautiful practice where it, it's, he says smile release, or you know, breathing in, I uh, smile, and breathing out, a, release tension so that that's um, he actually has a series of, of phrases that he uses with the breath in, out, deep, slow, calm, ease smile, release present moment, wonderful moment There's a book called Present Moment, Wonderful Moment and that practice is in there so I use that a lot I've used that in my practice a lot it was actually, those five phrases were my main practice for about five years. And uh, they did actually help me to break through into deeper concentration experiences too. Because it turns out, you know, if you if you study with um, Lee Brasington, who's been one of my teachers, he teaches the jhanas, which are the med- meditative absorptions. And the way he teaches them is kind of the way I just taught this meditation, which is sit and look for a pleasant experience and just start to focus on that. And eventually that turns into something called PT, which is rapture, and it leads to, uh, that's the doorway into concentration. Yeah. Which is a little surprising, I think, given the way, again, how mindfulness and meditation is offered in our kind of Western Buddhist community, it's it's not really, the idea that cultivating some pleasant experience in meditation is going to get your mind more concentrated it doesn't, you don't hear that very often. <laughs> but it's true, in my experience. And it, as I say, in my study too. So. It's worth experimenting with. Yes. <laughs>
1: between that concept of rapture and intoxication and intent. And Mind- mindfully. Almost and almost crazy. <laughs> yeah, well,
0: see, this is where mindfulness is so important. You, know, just, you have to start to, well, I don't like that phrase, have to, um, mindfulness helps us to start to see, first of all, the connection between craving and suffering. So that when you when you notice that you're thinking, and you come back to your breath, right in that moment, notice the relief that comes from stopping thinking. Okay? This is a critical point in practice. Notice the feeling of coming back. When you notice that, it is a pleasant experience of letting go of the thought. And you come back, ah, I'm back, my breath. What you are noticing is the truth that... Uh, from the four the four noble truths, the truth of suffering, the cause of suffering, the end of suffering, the way the end of suffering, what you are noticing is the second and third noble truth. That is to say, you are noticing that your clinging, which is what thinking is, essentially, was causing you suffering. And you're noticing that by stopping thinking, you're ending suffering. That's the third noble truth, that when I stop clinging, suffering ends. So right there, in your meditation, you're experiencing the insight that the Buddha said would bring liberation. So this is how we practice, and this is what we need to see clearly and and learn to recognize. So the practice of mindfulness meditation is a form of self-examination in which we Start to be able to distinguish these different experiences in our mind and body. And we have to do it over and over because this is a complicated thing that we live in, this (laughs) mind body. And we need to, we have to start to see what it feels like to clean and what it feels like to let go. And when we start to see that stuff and feel it and recognize it very clearly, then we can distinguish this. We can distinguish, oh, this is pleasure. Oh, this is drastic. This is joy of letting go. This is rapture, and enchantment, as you say. Oh, wow, man. You know, it, it's subtle, and it's a really important point that you're bringing up. The, there's a subtle difference between the joy, the meditative joy, the sukha, and the enchantment of just being lost in the dream, in the fantasy. But we're training our minds to distinguish those things. Vital to distinguish as us as you're pointing to. Because this is our tendency, is to go there, to get lost. Um, so we... You know, we, we experience this directly for ourselves and as we study the Dharma, we understand we start to really absorb ideas and, and, and experience for ourselves the truth of impermanence. That there is no satisfaction, that there's no permanent satisfaction that can be derived from any experience. And so that 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 kind of clinging that thinks oh if I can just get it 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 just doesn't have a hold on us anymore because we just can't believe it anymore it's much like the moment of clarity when we come into recovery when we realize this just doesn't work that doesn't mean you can't relapse but you never can really believe anymore that this is gonna work. Just that sometimes you get overwhelmed with you know your delusion with your confusion with your pain and, and you can't see that yeah. anymore and you can't remember it anymore. But you but if the question comes to your mind, is this gonna work, you know it won't. So that that same kind of wisdom that we develop about our addiction Starts to become part of our understanding of our whole mind-body experience. Because, you know, the the human, uh, you know, our our condition is one of addiction, of addiction to self, addiction to creating me, my, you know, moment by moment. And and so we start to watch that in the same way that we watch our craving for a drink. I think I just went too far, but, so let me come back. <laughs> Right, and so you've experienced that, so now you just have to train yourself to hang out in it. Mm-hmm. And that, because the first experience, uh, there's... There a freedom in knowing that I could come back. Or, yes, right. Once, right, and knowing that it's there, that there's that potential. It's like, oh, okay. You know, the first time, there's one meditative state that's in this this series of absorptions that I, Fell into at one, one moment, and it's this real, this feeling of vast expansiveness, and, and I'd been practicing for ten days on a retreat, and I was kind of working with these states, except, but I hadn't, and you, know, you kind of worked your way through them. And it's kind of a formal practice, and, and um, and i have kind of like been knocking on the door of this one experience, and it hadn't happened, and then I fell into it, and in that moment, this, there was this just this vastness that opened up, and what I said was, "Oh shit!" <laughs> and then it collapsed, <laughs> and because I didn't know what it was, I was like, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> because of course, as soon as I thought had a thought, it collapsed. <laughs> but then my next thought was, "Oh, that's what that was. Mm-hmm. That's that thing I was that the teacher was talking about." Okay. And, and what happens then is that because you've developed the neural pathways your mind has found knows how to get there now mm-hmm. and so you can get back so then I, I was able to get back in a, in an, in a, um, through my own right effort <laughs> now I'm grasping effort I was able to because my mind now knew how to get there and then I was able to access it in the future uh, given the conditions if I was my mind was settled enough. but uh, it, it, that there are experiences of meditation that can be shocking or surprising. I mean, you know, that like, whoa, uh, this energy that can come through the body and these things and we have to learn how to hold them and to see that, oh, it's okay, this is part of it. There's a lot more to meditation than in, out, in, out. You know, the, there's this whole unfolding that the body goes through, that the mind goes through, that uh, we have to learn how to hold and it's a step-by-step process. I was not expect to get to these places. Mm-hmm. I um, have a uh,
3: aversion to the Pleasant. So I'm glad that you said what you did after, <laughs> after you talked about uh, uplifting well. Um, because it's such a familiar place to be in the pain. Right. And so the Pleasant seems like I'm not supposed to have that, I'm not supposed to go there because there's something going on isn't there crisis isn't there pain isn't there something happening here and it's such an unfamiliar place that i i, I have subversion to it what i found myself doing though um is is going back to the body experience I, I went to the place of you know the more emotional experience and i went back to the body and realized that my feet were freezing cold mm-hmm. I started with that, and then I found myself becoming really grateful that I could feel my feet, mm-hmm. and that I, in the moment, was conscious, and in the moment. Yeah. So I, felt, I ended up feeling like gratitude, even
0: starting out, feeling an aversion towards the present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of us have that. I would call it fear, which is a form of aversion. Fear of... Uh, Getting fooled, or, you know, or I gotta watch, you know, I gotta keep an eye out for trouble. And if I say something positive, you know, or optimistic, I mean, I'll often say, you know, God willing, just to keep myself, because, yeah, you know, um, kind of like, I mean, it's an acknowledgement that I'm not in control, you know, that I'm, I think this is gonna happen, but I'm, I'm not sure. Um And you know that that fear is based in a, a reasonable sort of uh, you know evolutionary uh, purpose that that humans uh, you know the humans that survived, the ancient original humans that survived were the ones that were careful and were looking for trouble. the ones who were like. Oh, what a cute little kitty cat! You know, got eaten. You know, so the people are like, well, "That thing! I'm going up the tree!" You know, because that thing looks scary. You know, so the, so we are the genetic inheritors of all the scaredy cats. Well, shouldn't say cats again, but that's really confusing. Of oh, the, the, the nervous people. So we have to like learn how to relax. <laughs> and you know most of us most of the time are not in in danger in immediate danger. So um, we have to learn to like oh, okay, it's okay now and I don't you know I can enjoy this, I can be with this. And, and it's the same thing just the idea that I talked about at the beginning today about um, trusting our recovery. You know, it's like, Yeah, in your first 30 days, your first six months, maybe your first couple years, you know, you're kind of very vigilant, but, you know, at 10 years, 15 years, do you you have to, like, worry all the time? That doesn't mean you shouldn't be careful and, you know, you're still not going to take the champagne, you know, at the wedding, but, you know, um, I think there there can, at times, in the 12-step culture, be this culture of fear. Not trusting ourselves, and and to me, step two came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Is saying, I don't need to be afraid. You know, I'm going to be. I'm okay. You know, and whether you think of that as a power greater than yourself, or you think of it as refuge, you know, it's the same thing. You're 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 protected by your awareness. More than anything, nothing else, Nothing can protect you more than your awareness. And when you are not aware, is when you are the m- most vulnerable. You know, when you're driving your car and you're <coughs> texting, you know, you're not protected anymore. You're not protected by God. You know, God's like, you know. I may have given you that cell phone, but I didn't tell you to text when you were driving. <laughs> In fact I told I made him make a law about it. You know. <laughs>
1: That's why they
0: have that law. What
1: accent does God have? What? <laughs> so what accent does God have <laughs> New Jersey uh Italian. <laughs>